This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello and welcome to the Wingrin podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Robin Marmelstein, the Vice President of Marketing at PM Pediatrics onto the show. Let's get into it. Robin, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so well. We are so excited to have you. Just enjoyed chatting about that you live now where I grew up. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Jericho, go Jayhawks. Where are you from originally, Robin? I grew up in a town on the South Shore of Long Island. It's called Baldwin. And I was there through high school, came back, lived with my parents for a year out of college until I moved to Long Beach for a few years, lived in the city, met my husband, and then came back to Long Island to live here in Jericho. Amazing. Love the South Shore. Me too. What was high school Robin like? Oh, high school Robin was, I would say I'm a bit of a book nerd. I still would consider myself a reader. And I would say I sort of stretched my wings later in high school when I was like 16 and 17, where I would explore the city a bit. My my parents know this, it's no secret. I would sneak out at night and go dancing and like go into the city with my friends and come back very late at night. I'm actually glad that I did that while I lived at home with my parents and got it out of my system before I went to college because I don't know what would have happened if I did it when I wasn't living in their house. I was not a really great athlete, didn't like sports very much. I try have this story when my dad always tried to coach our teams. And I have the story of when I played softball, I, I was terrible. And I was always in outfield. The other girls could actually hit the ball that far. So they just stuck me there. And one day I was, you know, those flowers that you pick, I don't even know they're flowers, they're probably weeds. You pick them up and you go. <laughs> so I would pick those up during the, that's what I would do during the softball games. I would just pick them up and blow on them until one girl wall up the ball and it hit me in the stomach and oh, I fell because no. <laughs> I wasn't oh. paying any attention. <laughs> and that was the end of my softball career. So I was, <laughs> I was not such a great athlete as opposed to now in my life where if you would have told me back then that I would become a soccer mom on the sidelines of the field and only cheering my kids on. But with one of my daughters, my husband does the actual parent coaching, but I do the administrative work. It's what we spend most of our weekends doing now. I love it. So you're a soccer mom and, and also a flag football mom? I am a flag football now mom, which is probably I actually prefer. My daughters are 11 and 9. So in April of 2020, when there was nothing to do, the Long Island Flag Football League found a way to reach out to parents of daughters to say, hey, we've been running this football league where it's mostly been populated by boys. But if the girls are interested, we'd love to have them. And we were itching to do anything to get out of the house and be outside. So both my daughters played and now it's been three seasons of flag football. My husband coaches both of them. He has all his plays written on little index cards that are starting to get tattered, but he brings them around and he teaches both at then he was teaching seven-year-olds and nine-year-olds how to play football, but they're pretty good now. My 11-year-old won the Super Bowl last season, which was very exciting. I don't know if she has a shot now, but my little one might. Her, t- her crew has gotten better. I actually prefer watching them play football than I do soccer. They have a great time. That's so fun. My wife and I have a three-month-old son, so we're getting excited. We're only a few years away (laughs) from from youth sports. So you went to school at Pitt. Did you know in school that you wanted to go into marketing and communications? When did you have that aha? Yeah, so I think I was always attracted to brands. 
and how they played a role in my life growing up. I would say the first half of my career working for brands in color cosmetics and skincare. I loved reading. I loved writing. And when I graduated college, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to interview for jobs at magazines. And this is, I'm going to date myself, but like, this is when you would look in an actual newspaper and like circle job listings with a marker and had interviews with magazines. And I actually had an offer from 17 magazine and they were going to pay me about $15,000 a year. And my parents were like, you cannot take that job. Like, there's no way you've got to find another way. That's not enough money. But I had enough experience and did some internships in college to understand how public relations worked and their role in educating writers about brands and products. So I got a job working at a PR firm that specialized in taking on clients that were the beauty space. So anything from personal care, body care, color cosmetics, skincare, fragrance, even oral care. And I worked at that PR firm for a few years, then left you know, to go to another and probably worked at three PR firms before I had a desire to go in-house and work for a brand corporately. When you work in just PR, you only get a slice of what they're doing. So my first in-house role was for a brand called Bliss, which at the time was owned by LVMH. I was there through... I were, and they're a very entrepreneurial brand. The founder's name is Marcia Kilgore. She's gone on to start and sell four or five pretty well-known brands, some in beauty, one in footwear. And I worked for Marcia. There was no defined marketing department. It was really just a PR department that did everything. Bliss was sold to Starwood Hotels. And my role uh, morphed into opening up Bliss Spas and W's across the country. I got to travel and open up Bliss Spas and W Hotels in New York in Chicago, in Dallas, in LA, in San Francisco. It was awesome. My husband got to come like, and he would be like the secret spa guy. Cause before we opened, we needed people to come in and the women that worked there would practice on people. So he got to the guy who would come in and get free facials and he would tell them like a made up name. And then they would see him in the lobby and they'd be like, Hey, and he'd be like, sorry, I'm Robin's husband. I was supposed to lie. <laughs> <laughs> And I was there for a while. I went to go work for another skincare brand called Jerlique thereafter. But while I was at Bliss, they built out a real marketing department. And they gave me the opportunity to go to FIT, which has, I would say it's similar to a master's in business, except that they bring in some other classes like fragrance. And the goal is that you enroll in the program. It's a two-year program. While you work for a large cosmetic company, the program always had people from big brands like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder, Revlon. But at the time when I applied, they were looking for people coming from entrepreneurial brands because they were driving a lot of the growth. So I went through that program for two years and was able to get some baseline marketing skills that I did not have from just sort of growing up organically through my career. And I've continued to explore other professional development throughout. So I think technically I have a master's of professional studies in marketing and management from FIT. That's awesome. And if I understand the timeline of your career correctly, it seems like right when you were having kids is yeah. when you started to work in brands that were more focused on babies and children. Yes. Is that right? I don't know if I did this by my own design. Like I willed these jobs to come to me because it was what I was interested in at the time. When I had my first daughter and I was on maternity leave, I got a phone call from a recruiter randomly, literally three days after I had her. 
And she said, Hey, I'm calling to see if you're interested in this job opportunity. It's to manage a baby food brand called Earth's Best. Mm-hmm. And they are owned by, which you probably know if you have a three month old, owned by a large food company called Hain Celestial, which is on Long Island. And I was on maternity leave, but due to come back from work and go back to commuting. And I was like, I had a baby three days ago. I can't believe you called. This is amazing. So I remember going on the interview and I met with a woman who ended up becoming the president of North America, but then ran like the entire marketing department. And she was like, are you sure you want to do this? Like you've been working at these like really luxurious, like high-end cosmetic brands and it's this fast paced lifestyle. And I said, I had a baby like four days ago. I am wearing the only thing that fits. So if you want me to come back for a second interview, I'm going to be wearing the exact same outfit because there's nothing else that I can fit into. Haven't washed my hair in three days and I'm living the brand right now. Like I'm the perfect person to do this. This is what I'm interested in. I really don't care about my makeup anymore. I, this is what I'm personally passionate about. Long story short, I took the job as a senior brand manager at um, Earth's Best Organic. And I was responsible for the, really there, the brand management roles there, you have full P&L responsibility. So I was responsible for the whole portfolio, which was thriving baby food business, a formula business, a diapers and wipes business, a kid's snacking, like kid's granola bars, things like that. And then a frozen business. We made everything from infant formula to frozen chicken nuggets. And I was there for about seven-ish years. My responsibility grew on Earth's Best while I was there. In addition to, we acquired another baby food brand called Ella's Kitchen while I worked there. And I was part of a team of people that would look at and evaluate parenting brands, I'll call them, because that's really what they are. They're brands that sell things to parents. They could be personal care items. They could be supplements. They could be diapers and wipes. But Hain is a very acquisitive company. And if they were looking at a brand to acquire that would fit in my portfolio, I was part of the process of evaluating that business and seeing if it would make sense for us to acquire, would we be able to help that brand grow to an area where they would be much more successful than they were at the moment when we were looking at them. So I got really excited and learned a lot about how you evaluate businesses like that and look at businesses that could be acquired by us and then potentially sold to another larger organization later. And after about seven-ish years there, I left and went to a company called Baby Gannics, which makes personal care products and diapers and wipes for parents to use on their children. Everything from laundry detergent, diapers and wipes, baby shampoo. I started right as they were sold to SD Johnson. And my role there and what I think continues to be where I'm probably the most successful is to put a little bit of rigor around a brand that was now given a lot of resources to grow. SC Johnson was really excited about the path to growth and to put that rigor into place, budgeting, brand planning, and more of a classically trained marketer would bring, but still understanding entrepreneurial brands and the culture and being a culture carrier and maintaining that throughout the process. Right. And I was there at Baby Ganex for about three years until... S.G. Johnson made the decision to move her office to California. I was not interested in relocating and moving my family to San Francisco, which is where the brand sits now. And it makes a ton of sense. The brand now sits in San Francisco with S.G. Johnson's other better for you brands like Mrs. Myers and Method Household Cleaning. And to put all of those brands under one umbrella on the West Coast made a ton of sense. It just wasn't right for me and my family. But I did tell them that I would stay on for a year and did everything from help rehire a team on the West Coast to packing up boxes in New York and closing the office. And during that period of time, I would say I knew my journey with Baby Gannics would end in June of 2019. And in like February of 2019, I was like, 
randomly saw a job posting on Indeed for PM Pediatrics. And I knew of PM because there's one not far from my house. My children only get sick uh, after five o'clock at night when my pediatrician's closed. And I would take them there for regular things like I colds or strep or things like that. But one time in particular, my youngest daughter, she was two at the time, stuck Play-Doh up her nose on a Saturday afternoon. And I thought I could get it out. I did not. I ended up shoving it farther up her nose. It was like bright yellow and I was like really nervous and it looked terrible. Then my other daughter started freaking out and screaming, thinking that her sister is like very sick. So I put them both in the car with my husband and we drove to PM. They have a special tool that they use, which sort of looks like a knitting needle with a hook at the end and a light at the bottom. They clearly have done this before. They were very prepared. The Play-Doh remover tool. (laughs) Yeah, they're right. Exactly. My daughter (laughs) fell asleep while they were taking it out. And what was the most miraculous is that we went home. She was fine. This was a Saturday, Monday morning. They called me to see how she was feeling, which I know my pediatrician well, and she has never called me to say, hey, how are the girls? So I was so impressed by the patient experience that I always trusted PM with my kids. I applied to an ad. They called me. At the time, PM had about 60 brick and mortar offices. The leadership team was pretty much made up of doctors that were now business leaders. And sometimes those doctors still practice medicine. Sometimes they didn't, but they were filling a couple of corporate roles with people that were not doctors. A CFO was hired around the time I was hired. A CIO was hired around the time I was hired, but they sort of were at a point of growth where we're like, okay, we need to get some other experts in here. There was never a head of marketing position. There were a couple of communications people, but nobody that was putting together brand planning and budget and looking at how do brand activations drive, in this case, PM looks at volume as opposed to in CPG where we looked at revenue or top line or units. So I joined them July, 2019, at the end of my tenure with Baby Gannics. And I was learning all the things at healthcare, totally different business, but same, same parents. Like I'm talking to the same people I'm pulling a lot of the same levers that I would, except the big difference is I can't sell you a thing. I'm not selling you a bottle of shampoo. I can't send you an email with a coupon code to buy now. I have to seed brand awareness and then be there for you when you need us. I need to inform you that we exist and why we're great. And then when your son is crying at 10 o'clock at night and you can't figure out what's wrong with him, and then you look and he has a fever you remember that we're around and you call us. Or if somebody falls on the soccer field and you need an x-ray, at that point, you recall us. So putting together programs that deliver that are definitely different than putting together programs and what converts in consumer packaged goods. But the message and how you deliver that message and to who, that I knew how to do. I had been talking to parents for 10 years already. Yeah. So it sounds like the common denominator of all the companies you've worked at is high growth. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Yeah. I always say I'm not employee number five. I'm employee 25. I'm the person you bring in when you're ready to take whatever it is to the next level. Either you have cash and you want to spend it or someone's giving you cash and they want to spend it. But there's a level of rigor that needs to be instilled in the organization to help you deliver those goals. Right. And it sounds like you have a playbook that is proven it works. I kind of do. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking to that playbook, You've worked with CPG brands and services Mm -hmm. brands. Yes. Then also like luxury brands targeted towards adults and brands targeted towards families. That playbook, 
Is it more transferable if the type of product is the same, meaning it's always CPG or always service or the type of audience is the same? I think it's audience. I think, and at least the way that we market today, which for me has been for the last however many years, I would say, I always call it a mix of art and science. So for me, the science is the digital media that I'm buying. And Mm -hmm. I can clearly see who's engaging and what is that delivering. And the art is getting involved in their community. It could be thought leadership. It could be boots on the ground. People call it grassroots, whatever you want to say. But that's the art. And I think you need to find that balance of both for your brand. But for me, the audience is important. People need to see themselves in what you're selling. And that could be literally see themselves like someone that looks like me, someone that talks like me, someone that's in my world. It could be someone that sounds like me. It could be someone that may look differently than me, but we're on the same journey. I'm pregnant, she's pregnant, that kind of thing. But the content that you create has to make that connection. And I think that that is audience-driven, not what you're selling. So interesting. The wrench in all of this when joining PM Pediatrics is, of course, COVID. COVID. Yes, it is. (laughs) How did PM Pediatrics, of course, is geared towards children. How many COVID cases were coming in at PM? Yeah. So two things happened that I think helped us be prepared. And I will say that PM is an amazing entrepreneurial company where everyone who works here is here for the same reason, and that's to provide better healthcare for kids. And because we're so mission-driven, we were able to do things quickly and efficiently and stand up businesses to support people because everybody really believes like in the same vision. So I would say in January of 2020, two things were happening. We happened to have built a telehealth business and we were testing it in Alaska. And we were testing it in Alaska because there is a dearth of pediatric providers in Alaska, but there's a good amount of children. And we felt like if we made a mistake in Alaska, maybe nobody would see. And we were partnered with schools and we were partnered with the military, military bases. And we were seeing children on this telehealth platform that we had happened to build up and stand up quickly. At the same time, one of our founders had a son studying abroad in Italy. And he had three to four week line of sight into what was really going to happen to the healthcare system in the United States. I'm the first one to admit, I was like, it's the flu. This is crazy. Like, I did not think that when people were asking me, when my HR department was telling me if we had to turn it off, and I mean, really turn it off, because our fear was, and this became a reality, people are so scared of this virus. They're not going to seek healthcare. They're going to stay home. So our volume is going to go like from here to here. It's just going to drop. No one's going to walk into an urgent care right now. And if that happens, what's it going to do to our business financially? But then how are we going to care for these kids at the same time? Because we know they're going to need healthcare. So we, HR and our head of IT sort of put together a plan where we were ready to go home if we had to go home. We were ready to roll out this telehealth platform nationally if we had to roll it out nationally. And we cut budgets ahead of time. So throughout January and February, I was being asked to deliver very lean budgets should we be in a position where our volume is going to drop significantly. I would say come February, we were rolling out the telehealth platform nationally. Our IT department helped us build that infrastructure. And I believe by mid-March, when my corporate office is closed and when I got the phone, I remember, everyone remembers, I have a silly TikTok video of my daughter like making silly video dancing and talking about coronavirus. When we all went home, we were ready 
to see kids via telehealth. Now, my challenge as a marketer was no one had any idea what that was, like how to do it. What is it? Why do I need it? And then what am I doing with it? Like, so your child isn't feeling well. What are you doing? Like, am I taking that patient? And like, there's a whole clinical side to this of how are we protecting our providers? PPE, making sure that they're safe, having tests, things like that. So our clinical, while I'm doing my job of telling my bosses, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to help families. This is how I'm going to make them aware of this new way of seeking healthcare because they're not comfortable going into our offices. Our offices were open. People could come in and see us, but nobody was coming. And I wasn't, I remember rescheduling my own daughter's well visit because I was afraid to take her to the pediatrician. So nobody was going into a place, but we were open for the community. We've seen 2 million children. I stopped counting. We've probably seen more than that, that were treated or presumed COVID positive. So we saw them, examined them, tested them, reported results, things like that. We built IT systems to track it and report back. Operationally, our teams secured PPE. We put guidelines in for masking. It was all hands on deck. I would say for a year, our days were very long and emotional and intense serving the community. By the summer of 2020, things calmed down a little bit, but then we saw spikes in the fall again. And then we started to find our way. I think that we would admit that our patient exper- the patient experience across the board in healthcare kind of stunk. Everybody was scared and emotional and unhappy. We started to improve patient experience. We started to improve processes, the way that we test when we open. But one thing about working with emergency room doctors, which all of our doctors are, are ER trained, and most of them have worked in a pediatric emergency room, is put plans together, execute. A B plus is okay. Let's just get something out there. And then let's make it better. Let's improve. Let's learn. And we still do that today. We work with tons of communities about to help them test, to help keep kids safe. And we give them guidelines and we almost consult with them. Like we really have a ton of, from schools to camps to organizations that you know provide other sort of activities like sports or after-school activities for children. We provide tons of guidance to our community. And I think we've become a real resource and it's truly fast-forwarded our growth. I don't think that we would be at a place where we are today and the opportunities that are in front of us if we didn't go through the pandemic, which we still are going through, but if we didn't go through those waters previously, and earn the trust of families because we were there to support them. Where now we're looking at for the next couple of years, doubling our brick and mortar locations. We've built a thriving behavioral health business where we're helping parents and we're helping schools deal with the mental wellness challenges that have resulted from the pandemic. And by the way, we're there at the beginning, but the pandemic really highlighted the need for mental wellness for children. And we're partnering with schools officially by providing those services, both urgent care services and behavioral health services in school systems. That's great. Does that replace the nurse system that we've... It depends. No. So a lot of times it's uh, the way that I think of it, and I think of it with a parent's point of view, because and that's always the lens that I bring to PM is that I'm the mom in the conversation. They're all talking doctorness. And I'm like, okay, guys, this is how I interpret what you're saying is that my daughter goes to the nurse's office because her ear is bothering her. The nurse may have the ability, should we have this sort of partnership with them, where she's like, you know, let's call a doctor. At this point, for her to be able to call the doctor or him to be able to call the doctor, I, as a parent, would have given approval for my school system to do that. So let's say that I've done that. They place a telehealth visit. Maybe they have an otoscope in the nurse's office and they take a picture of my child's ear and the pediatrician then on the telehealth platform gets sent that image, can look at it at that moment and say, you know what? She does have an ear infection. I'm going to call in a prescription for amoxicillin. Have mom come pick her up because it also looks like she has a fever of 101. I get a phone call at work 
that says your daughter has 101 and she has an ear infection. The prescription's already at CVS. Grab it on your way, scoop her up. I bring her home. I no longer need to take her to the doctor. And I already have the medicine in my home. So I don't need to run out and go get it. And she's sort of on her way to being better. Five years from now, what percent of taking care of kids do you think will be virtual through telehealth? We talk about that a lot. I think that telehealth is table stakes now. Every provider needs to offer it. And there's a lot of, there's things that can be covered via telehealth. And there's things that whether people feel they want a doctor to see it or a doctor does need to see it. I think there are people at different levels of tolerance for how they want their provider to engage with them. A lot of people are like, I don't want to leave the house. I can handle this via telehealth. And some people are like, no way. My doctor needs to see this, see me or see my child. I will say that as someone that has children and especially as a first-time mother, I don't think I could have tolerated a telehealth visit for my child. I would want that pediatrician to touch my baby and see my baby. But I think as technology moves forward and as parents that are younger than me, that that's all they know, I do think that we will see a lot of things being solved via telehealth and that convenience at the same time as the same high level of care is being given. Well, it's so incredible that you were all able to move so quickly. January, February of 2020, I think you might've been the only company in America that had the foresight. But honestly, if, if we didn't have the telehealth platform and if our founder's son wasn't in Italy and he was seeing exactly what was happening to his son and he was in the throes of providing him healthcare and getting him out of there and getting him home, And really pushing, like, I thought they were crazy. I was like, you guys, this is nuts. Like, but believing that we needed to have plan A, plan B, plan C. I'm not a doctor, but I work with them all day long. Pediatric emergency room doctors have lots of plans. And those plans are there for a reason and could be broken or executed only and and only certain ways. I think because they're emergency room doctors and that they're trained that way and it's ingrained in their system and they're frankly fantastic at dealing with urgent issues we were able to put together so many layers of plans and be ready to execute them. I think a lot of companies want to move quickly, but aren't able to for so many different reasons. What do you think it is culturally at PM that enables you to be able to execute on plans and be so nimble? Yeah, I think that our organization was set up to communicate very well. So at the time we had you know 60 offices across the country, every single person at that point, we would use team, Microsoft Teams all the time. It was not new to us to hop on and have a conversation with someone that sits in a different state. So we were able to communicate very well, quickly. I think our culture is of that. Like we over-deliver as an organization. And I think this is the probably one of the first places that I've worked at where I've I worked at a ton of entrepreneurial places, but culture is so important. You need to want to be here to do this. Like I remember the night antibody testing was a big deal in like April and May of 2020. Everyone thought they had COVID and wanted their blood drawn to see if they did. And we were able to provide that service. I think it was late April of 2020. And we sent emails to our patients to tell them, if you want to come, this is available. At 11.30 at night, the man who is now our chief operating officer called me and he's like, you got to stop. We like broke the internet. Like, I don't know what happened, but like so many people are calling. I cannot believe how many parents like are making appointments because we're open till midnight. So the phones are ringing off the hook. Like, what can you do? I'm like, there's nothing I can do. You told me to send out the email. Like, So we learned from that for him to feel comfortable calling me at 1130 at night and for me to answer the phone at 1130 at night and deal with it and have a plan for the next day of how are we going to handle this operationally? What's our messaging going to be? How are we going to talk to families? 
not everyone's going to pick up. Like we wanted to be there. We're in it with these families and the culture that PM creates requires that of the team, especially of the leaders and everyone that works here wants to help and wants to be here. Something that you brought up in the pre-interview call, which I found really interesting, was if you could teach a college course, it would be around don't bring problems, bring Bring issues and and solutions. Exactly. I had a boss when I worked at Hain. Her name was Sheila. And if she hears this, she'll know this. One of the first few weeks that I worked with her, she brought our team into a room. She made a cake, a beautiful cake. I couldn't believe this. It looked like the Martha Stewart cake that she baked at home for us. And we talked about Sheila's ways of working. And she had a list. It was a Word document that she printed out and had like five bullets. And I've since stolen Sheila's way of working and adapted it for myself. But on Sheila's way of working was, if you have a problem, bring it to me always, but bring me solutions. And that's how I think anyone working in business in college needs to be prepared to think through those solutions and bring them to whomever it is that you report to, don't show up at the office door knocking and saying, oh my God, I got to tell you what's going on. Can you believe this? You can tell me all of that, but then tell me how are we going to fix it? And what's your recommendation? And then if that doesn't work out, what's your second recommendation? And then let's navigate this together. And I think that human beings are emotional. And I think training future marketers to be rational in an emotional situation and to think through the solves before bringing the problem is incredibly important, not only in the work environment, but in your life, in your personal life. So I don't know, it's been a long time since I was in school, but I don't think anyone's teaching them that because when I work with new people on my team, I dust off Robin's way of working every time because people just bring me problems. (laughs) Nobody brings me like, what do you think? How do you think we should solve this? And even if the recommendation of how to solve this isn't perfect, where I can provide guidance is when we can work on that half-baked solution together and then put it into action. Yeah, that resonates with me so much. That ownership, Mm -hmm. what you're speaking to. In your personal life, if something breaks, you're going to try to figure out how to fix fix it. it. Yeah, (laughs) and it's so important for that to translate it. If you want to progress in your career and become a manager one day, Mm -hmm. having that ownership mentality. So I love that. Robin, what exciting initiatives are coming up next for PM? I think the most exciting thing that, well, two things. One of them I'm really personally passionate about and we're trying to figure out the right way to do it. And the other is is really right in front of us. And I think we have a huge opportunity is, is how we can provide more mental health in more settings. And one of those is schools. How can we support school social workers, school psychologists, how could, with the amount of students that are walking through their door right now with care in school or outside of school? How can we solve the testing anxiety for high school juniors? How can we help middle schoolers adjust and be less anxious and make new friends? How can we talk about puberty with parents so that they can help explain it to their kids at home? And how do we normalize? And in my house, I do. So, And that's why I am so personally passionate about it because my daughter needed that help when she was eight years old and sees a psychologist regularly. And we call it her feelings doctor. She has a feelings doctor and she has a doctor doctor who helps with her body. And normalizing that conversation and making sure that children get both sides of care are extraordinarily important. And I think that PM is so set up for success to deliver that. I think parents trust us for their physical care of their children. My goal is to get them to trust us for 
their behavioral health of their child and make sure that they feel like we can be experts and a support system for them through their child's mental health journey as well. I love that. It's amazing. So the last part of the show, Robin, is called yes. the lightning round. Okay. I'm ready. So it's, it's four quiz. questions and we have four, okay. two minutes to answer all of them. So the first quick. thing that comes to okay. got to be quick. Right. First question, favorite youth sports memory? The one I told you about softball and getting get a kid in the belly and rolling down the hill. <laughs> I like that one. Well, I don't like that one, but... I know. That's it. <laughs> when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A lawyer. What is a brand whose marketing you admire most? There's two. One is a cosmetics company called Jones Road Beauty, which is created by the founder of Bobby Brown Cosmetics. I just love what they stand for. In a world where everyone's contouring their face and my daughter watches the Kardashians, Jones Road Beauty believes in a holistic view of health and cosmetics and beauty. And the other is not necessarily that I admire them, but they're in my life so much. Like my children are drawn to these new brands of clothing. One of them is Free City. They buy these very expensive sweatpants and they have very large logos and they wear them on their body. And that is so different than what I was attracted to as a child their age. But there's something about the culture that brands like Free City and Aviator Nation are creating that's creeping into my tween's life. And I admire how they've been able to do that and admire how they've been able to convince me to spend way more money on sweatpants than I ever thought sweatpants could be sold for. <laughs> for my so is that the new solo leggings of Jericho? That's what yes. I wore when I was yes. middle yes, school. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> and then finally, what is your go-to cause that you like to support? Another thing that I work on that I'm really passionate about, and I had the opportunity to work on it at PM and PM sort of gave me the room to do it, which is one of the reasons why I really like working here is our partnerships that we have with summer camps. And the cause that I choose to support in partnership with PM is an organization called Scope, which raises money to send children to summer camp that typically would not be able to afford to go to summer camp. Summer camp played an enormous role in my life growing up. I think that it gave me the leadership skills that I have today to run marketing departments and organizations. PM feels really passionate about providing the best health care they can to children 365 days a year. And our ultimate goal with camps is to be able to improve the level of health care that is given at camps. Over the last couple of years, we've done tons of things like helping them test before camp or consulting over the course of the summer. But we have a vision that telehealth plays a really big role in summer camps and we're able to provide care that way to camps that are in Maine or in the country in Massachusetts or in Pennsylvania and things like that. But I was able to pursue my passion for camping and PM supports scope through the work that we've done with them today. It's awesome. Thanks. Robin, <laughs> this was amazing. It was interesting educational. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Robin Marmelstein. As a recap, we discussed how transferable a growth playbook can be across different brands, the culture of high growth organizations, and how PM is continuing to grow and evolve, helping kids with both physical and mental health. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. See you next time. Play on, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.